0: Everybody and welcome to the My Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at My Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful.
1: Hey Matt, how are you? Hello George. No, I'm, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I think... I, I was thinking about how, cause I knew you were going to ask this question. Cause everyone always <laughs> asks this question in, in England and um, I'm okay today. I'm pretty good, but generally I'd say not thriving at the moment. Um, mm. But I'm managing uh, sort of, you know, I, there's been a lot of change in my life recently, which has, which is always a struggle for me. I don't think I'm someone who deals or finds change easy. So there's been a lot going on. Um, which has been tough, but I I think I'm managing it well. I'm being proactive in managing it. And today I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, But yeah, I think, I think I I like the idea of trying to be more honest in that question because I think so many people just say, yeah, I'm all right and then move on. And it's sort of a classic um, skipped over thing. It's it's a dumb thing in this society just to go, yeah, I'm cool. Um, Yeah. And sort of why ask the question if you're just going to, do you know what I mean? If that's going to be your default answer anyway uh no, i think i think it's just a, it's am, a
0: greeting okay. isn't it now more than anything people it's just hello, treat it as it? a yeah it's the same as hi. well i think in in a lot of places uh people instead you just don't say hello you just go you're right or like how you're are right. you that's yeah.
1: exactly it you're spot on you're right yeah that's that is now a. you're right means hello but actually when you think about what you're right means it's saying are you all right <laughs> how <laughs> yeah. are you are you okay but it's just a hello isn't it um but no, I am good. I'm excited to be talking to you. Big fan of the podcast and your work. As you know, we've we've sort of talked a lot about uh, a lot of stuff that you do. Uh, so I'm excited just to have a, a good chat with you. How about yourself? How are you doing?
0: Uh, yeah, first of all, just um, thanks. And yeah, I mean, we've been speaking for for a long time now, and I admire a lot of stuff you're doing as well. So that's, that's... we've been meaning to have this podcast for about like ten years. It feels like so. It's... I'm glad that we're finally doing it um, it's funny because the reason we kept stopping was because like either you were ill or I was ill or like something would come up and I am also ill today as well um, to answer your question so but I was like I am not under no circumstances am I cancelling today as well uh, I'm, I'm like I'm not it's not like bad, but I'm just a bit sniffly so I'm going to attempt to mute myself every time uh, I need to do that uh but apologies in advance to people at home um but yeah I'm I'm um, I'm okay. I think, uh, I don't know if you listened to the pod I did about um, International Men's Day, but I kind of, I didn't really plan on uh, opening up about how I'd been feeling as much as I I did in the end. Um, But I kind of started feeling better, like post that. I think uh, one of the reasons why I try to respond to the how are you question with honesty is because it makes me feel better, even selfishly, it makes me feel better if I get it out in the open. Uh, and I think I think that that it kind of opened up about it on that podcast, and I had a few people message me about it afterwards. Uh, I think that it felt like the same thing. It felt like uh oh, pe- people are aware, and nothing terrible's happened, so actually it's okay, and that's made me feel a bit better. Like I don't feel as yeah. anxious as I had been doing, and yeah, I feel feel alright.
1: Good. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I think I think you're right. I think a lot of there's a lot of therapeutic benefit from saying things it's the same as sort of journaling and writing things down but to say things out loud even without getting a direct response that tries tackling a problem but just you just saying something is generally quite helpful I had a therapy session on Wednesday and it's my first one back in a while and I just did all the talking there wasn't really you know because I needed to lay the background and whatever um, because I would had a few months off. And I just felt better coming out of that therapy session without my therapist actually having given me any practical advice or even that much reassurance, really. It was very much just me saying this is where I'm currently at. Mm. And I think it's an important thing to, to do. I don't think it's the whole story and you see all this sort of chat around health sort of, you know, sharing a problem i forget what the saying is but sharing a problem halves it or whatever and all of that stuff and i don't i don't necessarily agree that you can say that if we all spoke candidly mental health would be uh you know everyone's mental health would improve but it certainly goes some way to relieving some of the, the sort of internal tension that can build up when we don't say anything um so, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. I think I think if if we all just started talking about it candidly, I think the the kind of negative or like negative emotions and stuff would just move with it. We'd find something else, you know. I think I think our brains are designed to find things to be anxious about and to be whatever. So you know, if we just change the landscape completely, we just find other things to some degree, <laughs> you know. I mm. I do I do I um I do on on kind of I guess um as well as that I do. I really stand by the um kind of therapeutic ability of sharing your problems. And I think it's almost become like a a cliche of um, you know, everyone says, you know, you just need to start talking, and now everyone says, Oh, we need to stop telling everyone to just start talking because it's all we ever do and, and it isn't working, whatever. But I think I think the the reason we say it so often, the reason that's stuck around is because of how well it works. Uh, and, and like you say it's similar to journa- journaling um i used to talk about it quite a lot um back like my mind has nearly been going for five years now which i re- I realized uh, yesterday um which is crazy but like back when i first started my minds i used to always talk about how um talk about journaling and stuff and say how it the the beauty of it is when when you think about scenarios or think about ideas or whatever in your brain it's very easy to trick yourself by skipping over key points and skipping over key aspects of that story or that you're telling yourself but when you write it down or you share it with another person you have to make it make sense otherwise it just looks like gibberish so you you Mm. don't skip over all those bits there where your brain just goes oh that doesn't matter um when you write it down you go oh shit it does matter like it's, it's very crucial to this story like you know and you end up you end up making more sense and actually feeling
1: better about it it's probably a very good uh illustration or demonstration should I say actually of just how little sense our thoughts can make you start putting them on paper and you go, "Hang on there's a lot of bias in what's going on in my brain in comparison to the whole story which maybe becomes a bit more obvious when certain parts are missing when you write it down because you go hang on that doesn't make sense and that needs to be in there and i need to <laughs> i've skipped massive parts here so um it's an interesting one i think a lot of you know obviously that's what a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy is all about you yeah. mm. the lack of objectivity to the thoughts that we have and, and the lack of a need to associate with them and all of this stuff and, and maybe journaling is one of those tools that is a pretty good demonstration of a lot of the the sort of theories that cbt draws on
0: Mm. yeah yeah no yeah i I completely agree it's funny because i I was just uh, as you were saying that then i was i was thinking uh, often when i like when i the the thing that i don't like about doing podcasts as much as i do like them the thing that i don't like about doing it that i've realized over time is i hate the like performance aspect of it like but because it's 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 impossible not to like it's as much as I've done this for so long now and I've done so many interviews and things with different things it's impossible not to become this other version of myself that's you know speaking in a specific way and and I I feel like unauthentic I, I don't feel authentic but it's funny just like Speaking to you then, like even just that little alleyway we went down, it felt like one of our just regular phone calls. Like I felt like I was, yeah. I slipped into it, which is really, really nice. But yeah, the reason I'm saying that is because I'm kind of like, it pains me that I, I want to kind of move us onto our questions. Yeah, But sure, sure. as, <laughs> uh, yes. uh, go on. Sorry. You
1: want to capture that? Well, you want to capture that mixture between. Hmm. Discussing important topics, which needs a bit of structure and a bit of maybe a bit of performance to do so, especially when you're hosting a podcast, which isn't something I've done. So I'm not going to speak as if I've got um, experience in that. But but then also, when you go down a rabbit hole, also just, you know, because I agree with you, that does it feels like we have a lot of phone calls where we I don't know what we start talking about, we just go on and it's a bit like a, a brain dump, but it's a really nice sort of relatable um, coherent brain dump where we're both understanding and and just willing to listen as well to each other's current thoughts and situation and I Mm. think that's there's something quite liberating about that certainly from a speaking perspective maybe not for the listeners maybe they're bored and switched off already but certainly from a perspective as someone talking it's really nice talking with no agenda for a period but then obviously in a podcast you have to mix that with there being enough agenda so that um the, the topics that we need to cover are covered
0: yeah and it is like you know you're talking about um the kind of uh, intricacies of hosting the pod like it's it, it's it's something that i've really i've been really trying to to work into the podcast as as like over time as it evolved is mm. trying to make it as, as chatty as possible and like you've experienced the before recording chats now um, and I try and make it as as little and as chill like it used to be this really big list of things that I go through and it was very formal and we'd also have like a big kind of like a general chat beforehand but now as long obviously within reason if someone wants to have a general chat anyway I, I won't say no but I try my best to just be like a do a very quick like how are you um and then very, very quick, like these are the kind of main things we're gonna like, whatever. Um, and then just go straight into it because you if you I think having these like little chats with people that I don't know as well, I think either way we probably would have been fine. But um it can become very like your structured interview of just like, oh, question one, this, and they give me me an answer. Okay, question two, this. It's it nice to try and like um move into that. But yeah, okay, I'm gonna move on. <laughs> um so yeah, I, I, the obviously the main reason that I've uh, I wanted to speak to you and kind of uh, wanted to do this like proper podcast where we um, talk about your kind of stuff is because of the flourishing athlete, um, which is your kind of I don't know what you call it organization program yeah that, yeah any of the above I never know what to call it yeah um, thing so, yeah that's fine
1: I'll go with thingy. thingy.
0: yeah uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to kind of hear your thoughts around it, for one. Um, and I guess start with like what it is, uh, how you define it, what what it is you're you're trying to do with it.
1: Yeah, so it's something that is probably quite hard to define because what it is currently physically is it's an Instagram platform at the moment. Um, you know, like My Minds is a podcast and Instagram platform. I'm just an Instagram platform at the moment, and I haven't been the most active on that Instagram platform. Recently, due to a lot of things that have been going on, but that's sort of another story. But the aim of The Flourishing Athlete and what I endeavour to do with it is to help athletes and fitness enthusiasts. So when I use the term athletes, I'm talking about active individuals, people who value sport, movement, fitness, exercise, however you want to put it. I'm not just talking about people who are playing uh, you know, who, who are professional we're not just talking about professional athletes I'm talking about active individuals who enjoy movement Um, I want to help them develop a positive relationship with food um, with their body and with themselves so it's that sort of three-pronged ap- approach Um, and, and each of those different prongs certainly are related to the other two you know it's very hard to have a positive relationship with food if you don't relate to yourself very well and you're very critical and you have some certain motivations to engage in certain behaviors that aren't helpful again we know that food and body is often grouped together with um your relationship with your body will massively affect your relationship with 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 food and exercise because naturally food and exercise are a way of changing the way that your body appears um, the relationship with yourself part is obviously comes down to the way we treat ourselves, the way we see ourselves, how aware we are of certain traits we might have and how we manage those. So I think actually that's probably the most important one really is, is the relationship that we have with ourselves, because a lot of things stem from that. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, it, it's a framework. The flourishing athlete is a framework. It's a way of doing things. It's hopefully a new way of doing things that rebels against athletic diet culture. So that athletes have or fitness enthusiasts or whatever I'm just going to use the word athletes because but but no I'm incorporating other people into that if you don't identify with that word but you are an active individual I am still speaking uh, to that population but I want I want athletes to flourish and I want the sport or the exercise that they have in their life to be related to in a healthy way and to be an additive part of their life rather than something that is related to negatively um, because we know that this population are at an increased risk, we know that they're at an increased risk of eating disorders. you know the stats are mad about the um the risk for eating disorders in an athletic population of course, there's different populations within that. you can look at uh, an aesthetic sport or a, or a weight sport or a lean sport one where that you know being lean is beneficial for uh, for performance or or celebrated in some way so there's different categories within it, but we know that athletes as a whole are far more susceptible to um, struggles with their relationship with food, which are often normalised, struggles with body image, especially in the fitness industry. I think it's rife and there's a massive lack of awareness around um, body image within the fitness industry. Um, And then also relationship with self, because I think a lot of people who are athletic have often had an identity of being athletic probably from a young age not everyone of course and when we have something that is our identity from a young age whatever it could be it could be a musician it could be an athlete it could be a wanting to become a doctor whatever it's very hard not to put a lot of our self-worth into that particular activity because it's all we've ever known there's something quite nice really about moving into things later on in life this is a bit of a you know, sort of gone on a tangent here which hmm. i anticipated i'd do but when you've got more perspective around different areas of your life and you move into something later you have that perspective of other things that matter and in in this in this but you know in the same way actually you often hear And i'm thinking about elite athletes here to be fair more so you know professional athletes but you'll often hear them start a family and the way that they relate to the sport might change. It becomes, okay, the sport's really important, but I've also got this this baby or whatever that is a massive part of my life too. And um, and you often see that, I think, in the media um, when people start a family. And yeah, the point the point I'm trying to go down is that when we strongly identify with something and we put a lot of our self-worth and our self-identity in something, we're at, a, we're at a risk and it's not, necessarily problematic but having awareness about certain things like that I think is really important to manage the risk that is associated with it so yeah I I want the flourishing athlete to be something that can both help people who are struggling with their relationship with food and body and exercise as well as sort of a preventative way of doing things differently a different attitude towards ourselves Um, and a lot of that comes down to or sort of based in rejecting this athletic diet culture that we see so that so that athletes can can be active from a place of striving for athletic excellence from a healthy place rather than from an unhealthy place Mm,
0: yeah excellent um and uh, i guess people listening you will and i I, this is going to be a theme going through this because i think every time me and matt talk we always say how similar we are um a lot of people will notice that, you know, the 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 kind of motivations behind the flourishing athlete are very similar to the the motivations behind my own minds and, and what I'm trying to do with my own minds. And um yeah, I, I I remember when we first spoke about it and you were telling me what you're planning on doing, and I was like, this is just excellent. Like this is such an amazing idea and such an incredible thing that you're doing. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad that we're finally talking about it on the pod. And yeah, I'm very excited for it's like developments going forward. Um, <clears throat> I did have like a, cu- a couple of thoughts when you were saying that. I I'm, mean, I'm I guess um, I think they're questions that I've asked you before, but I'm thinking for the people listening um, who may not have had the opportunity. The first one I'm thinking of is what does flourish mean? Like when you say flourishing athlete, you don't need to, sorry to put you on the spot here for a textbook <laughs> definition necessarily, but you know, like just generally, like what does it mean to you? I guess, what does it mean to the flourishing athlete? Yeah.
1: Cool. So I actually um, use the word flourish. I know recently you are on Shannon Beer's podcast. And actually the first time I came across the word flourish was a concept that her and um, someone called Dr. Fundero um, proposed called Flourishing Health. And what they were sort of talking about here in a nutshell, I think, and um, I don't want to do it misjustice, but I think they were talking about really the intersection between physical well-being, psychological well-being, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, and and I think that we live in a world whereby those things are never really combined. So, as an example, let's just talk weight loss. The flourishing athlete is is a predominantly non-diet method. We don't, I don't really advise weight loss i think there's a lot of um you know negative um risk factors that come with it and, and we can discuss that later that's fine but it's so common you know we live in a diet culture world where it's so common to prescribe weight loss as a means to improve physical health but if you look at the success rate of sustained weight loss it's low if you look at the health physical health detriments that can come from restrictive eating they're pretty severe and if we look at the psychological harm that can be done by this it's pretty severe and so if weight loss was a pill the you know you know on the side of a packet of a of medication it will have to say the side effects and the, and the risk. It, would, it wouldn't even it wouldn't get through clinical trials because the efficacy mm-hmm. is so low. it doesn't work um so, so we, so we often think of health in in just one of these domains So, so weight loss is prescribed by a doctor without the consideration of the psychological harm it could be doing so what we're trying to really do is find a method that incorporates well-being in all of these ways so that so that active people are you know physically healthy which a lot of the time they are more likely to be physically healthy because they are probably healthy Define health. that becomes we could go down a complete rabbit hole here, but the sort of physical health conscious that they're, they're exercising frequently, which we know is um, is a beneficial thing for health in comparison to not exercising. Obviously, over exercising is different kettle of fish. And you know, there's a lot of nuance in all of the words I'm trying to use here. So I'm trying to do it do it justice with the language that I'm using. But um, a lot of the time, athletes' physical health is probably going to be um, okay. A lot of the time. You know, health is incredibly complex, physical health is. My physical health right now, you could say, is pretty poor because I've got a knee injury that needs surgery. And so despite the fact that I'm I've got, you know, I've not got any of the physical health ailments that we might think of as soon as I as soon as the word health is mentioned, we don't think about other health ailments I've got a knee problem, and that means that actually you could argue I'm not very healthy from that perspective. Anyway. Um what I want is the intersection of all of these. So I don't want athletes to try striving to become as fit as possible and, and, and compete at a high level, or even at a recreation level or whatever, at the expense of their relationship with food, suffering, their relationship with their body image, and it all coming from this place of lacking self-acceptance and needing to be um, complimented by others for appearing a certain way or for performing a certain way or well, I know a lot of the work you do, for feeling masculine. All of these things are not promoting flourishing health. They're not promoting a flourishing athlete. They are promoting a disordered athlete in, in many different ways, which again, it's all hard to define these words as a, but what I'm trying to do is I want athletes to experience I want them to experience well-being. But the flourishing athlete is not saying that if you follow these principles, you're never going to be sad. And I, I that's, I, as I said right now, you asked me how I was right at the beginning. I said, well, actually, no, I'm not going through the best period of my life. But a lot of the skills that I've learned, which is what the flourishing athlete is all about, is what's helping me build the courage to get through this tough period. You know, one massive thing that the flourishing athlete about is is about and i'm always worried worried about the wording of this because i think it puts athletes off but self-compassion and i think actually i'm I'm a fan of just using the word self-compassion even if it puts athletes off because someone's created this model um i'm a big fan of paul gilbert's model of self-compassion but someone's created this model and it's benefited me massively and it would benefit a lot of people massively and um so i'm going to use that word despite whether or not it would put someone off but there's a lot of misconception around it, but the self-compassion that I've developed um, is helping me through this tough period. And so flourishing isn't all about feeling great. It might also be about building resilience. That might be something that appeals to, that would have been something that would appeal to me as an athlete, building resilience. Maybe that's what we call it instead of self-compassion. Yeah, I like that. Because, because that's really what compassion is about. It's about doing helpful things for us. And it's not always helpful to sit within our comfort zone and never push ourselves, but it is helpful to know the difference between when pushing ourselves is a good thing. And when actually it's a detrimental thing for our well-being. <laughs> so I've gone again on a tangent. Um,
0: <laughs> no, it's a good, it's a good tangent. Um, and I've actually got a thought I wanted to uh, add to that. Jump um, you're talking about the kind of use of terms and I've been, uh, I guess, quite vocal about it. I spoke about it on Shannon's part about, the use of terms and, and things. And I've had some thought about that. Um and I kind of disagree with my old self um to some degree now, which I think is a, a really positive thing. It's something I try and do quite often is disagree with old me. Um and I now think I, I it's similar to what you were talking about before, how when athletes get a family or they move on to a different kind of they transition into a different phase of their life. And I think a different phase of their self-identity, which we can maybe talk about um, I think when uh, I'm particularly often talking about men, um, but I think af- I think people who are in the exercising community tend to align with these kind of masculinity ideas of needing to be mm-hmm. able to like deal with things yourself or whatever, but let's just, I'll just say men just for the sake of it. Um, we know that men tend to struggle with help seeking and one of the reasons it seems to be is this language and that's why I talk about these issues. Um, but I think once somebody has, has gotten past that help seeking the the kind of wall the barrier of help seeking i think maybe their identity would change somewhat because i think men who are in services or in or like are already accessing help may be more willing to adopt these new phrases and may already be at the stage where they they can accept and feel more comfortable with these phrases so i don't think you know is yourself as something you know maybe you see yourself in kind of two two persons or you see the flourishing athlete in two persons in this sense. I think that the outreach stuff we do where we're trying to convince men or convince whoever to seek help, that needs to be careful with the terminology that we use um, because then we can hopefully try and coerce people into doing this thing. Um, Coerce is probably the wrong word. You can can convince Convince people that it's a good idea. Yeah, convince, yeah. Um, But when men have already made that transition into okay yes seeking help is probably a good idea then we can start being like right this thing is called compassion this is what it means and you maybe some people will still feel a bit uncomfortable about that but maybe they'll be more accepting of it by that at that
1: point I I love that point I've never heard it before actually it's it's a novel point that you put to me about splitting up with regard to a state that someone is in in accepting help splitting up the language that we use for them is a really interesting one and actually it's one that i've never thought about but i've thought about in a different light where i've I've thought who is the flourishing athlete for i was trying to really work it out because i when i was in the depths of my disordered eating and body obsession if someone said self-compassion will be helpful for you i felt that the disordered eating and, and my um, sort of body obsession for want of a better word or body dysmorphia or whatever you want to call it was it was helping me really in some way it was served and a most unhelpful behavior does serve a purpose still it's still helping in a different way maybe just not one that's helping your health so it was helping me and so if someone said this is a really alternative way would i have really looked no I wouldn't have and I'd have fallen into that category you were talking about about men who who were not um, health seeking help seeking sorry um, and then you're right. You, you transition. And, and I think there is a transition that happens when you start seeking help and you you start becoming an advocate for it because, you know, it's the positive effect it's had on you. And you go, this is brilliant. This is what everyone should do. And it's probably that, that situation that we're in where people are now going, it's it's a good thing to seek help. And it is a good thing to seek help. And I bet those people who have seeked, who are saying that, have seeked help themselves. Mm mm-hmm. Is it necessarily a a good thing or a helpful thing for people who haven't seeked help? I don't know. I don't know what the research is around that or whether there is any research or whatever. Whether that that specific language of it's a good thing to seek help, it's, it's okay not to be okay, whether those things actually help people who are not okay or are easy to say as someone who previously wasn't okay, has seeked help and now is okay. You know, there's a, there's a difference there between the two. It's a really interesting point. And I was wondering whether the flourishing athlete is going to appeal more to people who, let's say, have struggled with their relationship with food, a, a big time maybe, maybe had a diagnosed eating disorder, got some help, are sort of in this um, sort um of semi-recovered position where they are okay, maybe still having a bit of therapy, whatever, whatever, but they're not like thriving or flourishing, which I see as a really positive word rather than a neutral. And that's the aim. I don't want people just to be here and sort of get through life with an OK um, relationship with food. And, you know, it's all, all right. I want to do my best to help people flourish. Mm. You know, I love I do love the word flourish. I think it's a really nice thing. Who doesn't want to flourish throughout their life? We've got this one life and we want to want to make the most of it. We want to get the most out of our lives. And so many people don't because because they're, they're struggling mentally um, or or at least not flourishing mentally. Mm. Um, which doesn't mean constantly being happy. It means developing the skills to do our best to get the most of our, out of our lives. So there's a real distinction there. But you're right, it's really interesting splitting those two people up and it's a thought I've had in the past as to what you know who this kind of stuff would appeal to. Would it, appe- I think there's probably, and I wrote down this, I was sort of trying to create this avatar of who it would appeal to. And I was thinking it's probably someone who's already got a bit of help or has, A desire to improve themselves got self-awareness or has a desire that seeking help is a positive thing or whatever would it would it appeal to someone or would the language i'm using appeal to someone who probably needs it most who needs to seek help i don't know and i don't i don't know if i have an answer to it either um
0: well the thing the thing i was just thinking i don't think i don't think it's an answer really but i was just thinking then I, i think it's almost how i um you know, I hope for the relationship between Maya Minds and the flourishing athlete to be because I think mm. what what Maya Minds focuses on, I think accidentally to some degree, but it, it's just where I'm interested. Are those people who haven't sought help yet? My whole thing is about mm. raising awareness and doing research to yeah. understand them, and and you know, trying to train other people around them in in understanding it and, and those kind of things, so that yeah. we can help them seek help. Um, but a lot of stuff I, I I don't do anything around like treating people or you know actually sure. like getting them better once they have sought help which is why you come in um which you know it's, it's i mean it's kind of how i am uh, sorry to put this publicly but how i hope our relationship you know moving forward yeah. um between my minds and the fortune athlete um can work is you know i'm trying to help people recognize it and you're helping people get better <laughs> you know and feel better that's uh i think that's really that's great kind of two angles that we're going at it from
1: 100 percent, 100 percent, and, and you know, I, I love, yeah, i like yeah and for me i'm i've always been like anyone in the industry you know this is currently for me the flourishing athlete for full transparency isn't something that sort of generated me money at the moment and, and it's you know whatever we're in that I'm in that position but it's i'm pro anyone in this industry who's putting these messages out you know mm-hmm. I, I don't see I don't think there's a huge amount of competition really. I think it's a massive gap is what I'm trying to say is that it's not something that is tackled enough. If you look at the amount of, I used to be a pro um, fat loss personal trainer. A lot of people who have sort of converted to a, an intuitive eating style or a more non-diet method, recognizing the damages of fat loss and et cetera, probably at one point were stuck in disordered eating and promoting fat loss and doing it themselves and suppressing their body weight and, and whatever 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 but that used to be me and the amount of if i go on instagram the amount of personal trainers or fitness people who are promoting fat loss there's tens of thousands of them tens of thousands well there's not tens of thousands of people promoting the same framework that i'm promoting to this population you know there's there's a lot more people promoting intuitive eating etc to people who used to be let's say chronic dieters and you know who who have been diet, particularly women who have been dieting for health reasons, sort of always done Weight Watchers and Slimming World and counting calories. They've done all these diets, and now I'm going to promote to you the intuitive eating model to heal your relationship with food and your body and reclaim yourself, and that and that's fantastic. But there's not many people promoting um, intuitive eating or this way of eating, rejecting athletic diet culture, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to athletes and fitness enthusiasts. And so, anyone in the field who's doing this work, like. Do you know what i mean you're not competition like i love it i want to i want to partner Like i want to i want to encourage the work that's being done on it because we need more of it of course so yeah partnerships are positive and and i am absolutely excited for our relationship as the flourishing athlete in my mind to develop because as you said you're right you're doing this unbelievable and you're 20 steps ahead of me with where you're at in terms of progress and time that you've been doing stuff you're doing this amazing work sharing stories talking about your story and and building awareness and starting conversations that haven't been had on the scale they need to be and then yeah as you said I'm really interested in developing a framework to prevent these things from ever happening and also to to help people who are struggling with these so it's such a sort of a sort of a beautiful um relationship and b- between the two things that we're doing in my opinion so it's exciting mate. it's exciting times
0: it is yeah and i, I you know i can speak to the um <clears throat> you know i get i get people emailing me and messaging me um from time to time saying you know that they they resonate with it or i get um quite i guess it's quite sad um but i get a lot of like mums um emailing me or messaging me saying they're worried about their son and, and that kind of thing yeah. and um, you know the the sad thing is often when they ask me, you know, what where can we go, or you know, where can I take you know, take them to learn about it? I can send them to a few things that I've done, but as for like care, you know, the only option is like GP and stuff, and that's really you know yeah. part of my what I'm doing is the fact I go to services and stuff to train medical professionals and learn learning about this kind of stuff, and often the the response i get is i've never heard of this um before and you know so if if that person did go it's it's likely that the gp is just going to say oh you know similar responses that i got which were you know oh well you look fine and you're exercising a lot so you probably sound like (laughs) you know that's and that's yeah yeah.
1: maybe we should uh, i was actually going to chat to you about this (laughs) sorry for outing it on the podcast when there's a public (laughs) pressure but um i was going to say that that a lot of the work that i want to do in the future is actually where can you have the greatest effect? Well, it's speaking with parents, caregivers, professionals that are involved in sports. So it could be PE teachers. It could be coaches at clubs. It could be, it could be in the fitness industry, right? So, so personal trainers or people who are working with this population, potentially. Um, that, for me, is actually where this can have the biggest effect because if, if there can be a different way of doing things from a young age... You're going to prevent these problems. And and I'm much more pro-preventative, you know, things rather than waiting until these problems arise anyway. Um, So, you know, I I think that's such that the work you're doing when you're talking about educating at services and, and you're looking at how can we educate. You talked about going to the doctors and that was what was said to you it's sad that that that, that's that's the current state of affairs and it is frequently and I don't necessarily blame doctors because if they've not had appropriate training why should they you know I remember I've done I did an eating disorder course the first time actually I came across you I was driving back home from um an eating disorder course that I was doing in Exeter and I was listening to your podcast thinking oh no it wasn't your podcast you appeared on a different podcast it might have been Ask Jen Up Mm -hmm. yeah yeah might have been that one and and i heard that the stuff you were doing um but the point i was trying to get to sorry is that at the eating disorder um course i was doing i think they said the stat of is it half a day couple of hours doctors get yeah on eating disorders yeah well it's it's an incredibly prevalent problem incredibly prevalent
0: and that it has the highest mortality rate of any mental health right Illness. Yeah, it's yeah. baffling,
1: isn't it? It's it's, yeah. it's it's really baffling. But obviously, there needs to be these massive changes, and that's something that 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 my mind is contributing to in such an amazing way. And I know the work that you're doing with research and with with because I see my mind obviously you do your research, but you also do that sort of service development, or you will help with guides for certain things, and you will educate. That's so important, so so important because there's just not enough awareness particularly in this population that we're talking about of the exercising population, there's not enough awareness at all because mm. exercise is seen as such as a, such a positive thing that it, it, it's hard to see it as being something it could be related to in a negative way.
0: Yeah. And I, like, um, just a, a quick point before I come back to the questions, but you um, kind of said it's something I've been saying recently um, with exercises, we often call uh, you, you mentioned it with weight loss, uh, but we, we often say that exercise is medicine. And whenever I talk about the kind of downsides of exercise or the negative relationships, people you say, oh, so you don't think exercise is medicine. But my, my new response is actually I think we need to double down on the idea of exercise as medicine in the sense that we need to also look at the side effects the same way we would with medicine. <laughs> you know, we need to we need to like, make people aware of what the side effects can be. If you do too much of it, the addiction that can come from it, those kind of things, you know, the same way that we would with any medicine um yeah. i think it's yeah. yeah we need to double down with that rather than uh, move away from that but say. i do i do want to move us on to the the questions because we're already we're already nearly 40 minutes so. in um <laughs> uh yeah so i guess you've already kind of touched on it a little bit but could you tell us a little bit more about um why you decided like what was it that motivated you to do it like if you can uh, take us back to that like first day or or i guess the the time running up to um, why it was that you decided to to start it
1: yeah i think it's probably easier and i've touched on my background but I, what i'll probably do then is i'll just give a real brief background from uh, you know from what led me up to being interested in this in this work because it's probably hard if i just talk about just before it because there's a lot that came before that so um you know i've always been sporty from a young age loved sport uh, you know as a lot of people do uh, at primary school secondary school running around the field at lunchtime sort, sort of a lovely part of um, a lot of children's days but you know I, I became very into my sport and I find it very interesting actually that early on you don't see many six-year-olds with a negative relationship with sport it's very playful it's a very playful joyful activity um, but you do see maybe a lot of I don't know 25 year olds 30 year olds plus with this negative relationship so somewhere along the line beliefs start getting put into place around what sport means what exercise means what fitness means and we start internalizing these beliefs that's for another time but anyway I was um, into sport and I I guess um, the first time I'd say I started becoming quite obsessed with my body was I guess during sixth form or year 11 or whatever as 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 sport starts becoming a bit more sort of serious um, rather than an enjoyable Saturday morning playing rugby where you want to do your best and and you sort of run through people to actually know you need to start hitting the gym to put on muscle. You need to be bigger. You need to be you need to be really fast to be good at this sport. And, you know, my two sports really were rugby and cricket throughout school. And so, you know, all of the rugby players were sort of hitting the gym and it was something that was something that was just talked about a lot more have you seen this person's muscle this person's massive he's really fast it's it became the thing really rather than oh this person actually can pass ball 20 meters off their left hand really accurate it was he's an absolute tank he can he can really bosh people over and it was, that was what it was and that's what all of a sudden the sport became about less so in cricket but I'm, I'm talking also in rugby but also just um, in terms of sixth form I went to an all- boys school and, and girls start, Uh, girls come into the school sorry in sixth form so there's this whole piece around all the boys trying to peacock and trying to um, you know grow their muscles and and be lean and be there was there was a real big thing around that and I'm sure loads of people can relate to that um, in school when you start it becomes this this thing where you are if you can make yourself more muscular you're more popular I, I fell into this when I was in the in the height of sort of my body image problems and struggles i honestly wanted to be friends with more muscular people because i thought it made me feel more worthy how like how shallow and there's no blame but what shallow thought that is now looking back on it but anyway there i was so i had all this sport and, and it was a massive part of me it was who i was i was getting into the gym i was trying to build muscle it became really important that i was muscular um it was you know matt is this is this um I don't want to say muscular because I wasn't ever that muscular, but Matt is this lean person who's very fit. He can run for days, whatever. And I started getting into um, touch rugby and I, I played the, but in 20, oh, what would it have been? Goodness me, 2015, I captained the England boys touch rugby team. And for those who don't know, touch rugby is a great sport, but it's a very lean sport, it's a very lean sport. So So that happened and that was in my gap year. And then I got into the England men's team off of the back of that. And so 2016, this was my first sort of year in the England men's team or December, or the winter of 2015. And I go to university. After my gap year, I go to Loughborough University. Um, so all of a sudden, it sort of starts piecing together that this sport and this fitness and this leanness and this muscularity is who I am. I am. A, I'm an athlete. I am an elite athlete. I can endure lots of pain. I can be incredibly dedicated with my diet. It's a show of who I am. It was me trying to put on a performance of what I wanted, how I wanted me to be perceived by other people. A lot of my self worth and my self esteem was tied up in how I performed and how I looked. Because I am, you know, if someone says, "What do you do?" Oh, well, I play touch rugby for England. Uh, I'm into my fitness. I go to the gym. These are things that I would say. I go to Loughborough University. It's the best sport in world union uni in the world. Bloody, bloody, blah. blah, blah, blah. Um, And the circle of people I hang hang around with are predominantly these people who are also interested in all of this stuff. So I really was brought into this fitness athletic identity. um, And, and, you know, I had a, a really disordered relationship with food throughout university. It used to be, you know, really orthorexic tendencies, eating only clean foods, giving up a lot of food groups, tracking calories, tracking macros obsessively, lots of binge eating. Um, sort of quite regular binge eating which really made me feel like i had failed even though a lot of it was sort of planned binge eating where i was anticipating this release of um tension and um so yeah a real tricky relationship with food my relationship with my body was um all i can describe as obsessive and probably a a little bit you know dysmorphic we know that there's a dysmorphic part that often has to be sort of a you have to be you have to be under the impression that you are looking different to how you actually look. I used to think I was really fat and I was incredibly lean. And so I would spend so much time in the mirror and I would constantly be picking my fat, worried about it, get, trying to ask reassurance from other people. Have I gained weight? Am I am I fat? Um, sort of created this nickname for myself, Matty McFatty as a as a sort of some sort of coping mechanism. I don't really know to, to, to manage it and to try and get reassurance off other people. Um, And then what happened is I I ruptured my ACL, which forced me to stop playing touch rugby. So just before the the World Cup in Malaysia in 2019, I ruptured my ACL, put a massive stop to it all. Um, And the disordered eating still continued. And all of a sudden I switched from this really lean, you know, being concerned about how lean I am to, okay, I'm going to get jacked upper body. How much muscle can I put on? Because I can't run, uh, you know, I can't do this, can't do that. So I was that person who would have a skateboard next to them on the rowing machine, with my with my foot on the skateboard because Sonny Bill Sunny Bill Williams did that and and it, he's dedicated and a legend and so this is me and and watch me and so multiple exercise sessions a day all of this stuff um, and so yeah but but what really the, the turning point for me was a couple of years later and, and it, within this time as well by the way I was working in the in the fitness industry I was personal training I was pro fat loss I felt like I'd um, really Um, got the hang of fat loss because I could keep my um, body fat levels low which I thought made me an expert in helping people who were completely dissimilar to me lose fat which is mind-blowing when you look back on it why could I help maybe I could help but why why am I an expert in helping middle-aged women lose fat when I myself am a young man who has the ability to go to the gym multiple times a day and doesn't have children you know I don't have I don't have a lived experience of of what these other people have or what this other population group have gone through to make myself someone who could relate to it anyway another story um but yes so i went and did my master's in nutrition i did my sport and exercise science degree at loughborough and that was all because how can i learn to be the best athlete possible how can i i need to know all the science so i can be the best athlete possible so i can optimize my body composition so that i can be this this respected knowledgeable sports science tank who can help other people that was sort of my dream of where i wanted my life to go with it all and um anyway do my master's in nutrition and i start coming across the concept of intuitive eating throughout that year just through listening to podcasts um you know got mentioned and I was like oh, what 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 I didn't know what it was I sort of you know delved into it and I ended up doing my research project on intuitive eating so I read a lot of research around it and I did it on in women who have dieted in the past and now practicing an intuitive eating or a non-diet method for those who who are who don't know intuitive eating properly intuitive eating is not a lack of dieting it's not an absence of dieting it is an active model of eating that promotes listening and respecting your body rather than eating to external rules to try and shrink yourself or to try and you know increase your muscle mass or whatever whatever it's it's not a body composition orientated style of eating it is instead a well-being style of eating that listens to your body and learns how to um, manage your emotions without using food and learns to listen to what you want and allows food neutrality and 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 access to food and i never had any of this mine was always I uh, you know i won't eat chocolate won't eat chocolate won't eat chocolate won't do any of this and it was a binge massive binge out of control eating and it was this painful ebb and flow and i just felt like i had poor self-control when i binged and i had this shame and all of this stuff so i thought well let's dive into this intuitive eating so i dived into it it's, it's a model it's a framework for eating um and I, I dived into it and it improved my relationship with my food and body a lot and after that i did a lot of work on my body image in, in other ways using other people's frameworks but they're all quite linked and i just ended up thinking there is nothing out here for athletes and i said i felt like it wasn't targeted to athletes i said this earlier in the podcast but it felt like the intuitive eating was targeted to middle-aged women who have dieted their whole life and who have always tried to lose weight and been on Weight Watchers and Slimming World and all these different diets and keto and whatever, and now want to to, are at a point where they need to try something different because they've realized it's not worked. And I was like, well, hang on, there's all these athletes out there struggling with the disordered eating and the negative body image and and the obsession with their body and, and perfectionistic standards and all these other things that are playing into it. There's all these athletes struggling in the same way that I was And there's no recognized or branded approach to appeal to them. So what I'm trying to do really is adapt this model and the amazing stuff from this model to also incorporate sports nutrition principles. So the the intuitive eating that I'm um, concerned about for athletes and want to promote in athletes is not the absence of ever changing body composition, of ever changing giving up eating a high protein diet because these things are needed like I'm not you know I'm not trying to say these things aren't important and it's a lot more nuanced in athletes than it is for non-athletes or for a non-athletic population it's more nuanced which is why I find it such a fun challenge to create this framework because I want to help people develop a positive relationship with food but I don't want people to give up on sporting performance if that's something that matters to them but where the where the motivation to excel in sport comes from i want to come from a healthier place and to do that we need to build self-acceptance if we are striving from a place of not accepting ourselves i.e i feel amazing when i win when i get positive feedback from my coaches blah 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 blah, or when i when i you know um, get pbs in the gym or when i'm or when I've got a pump on after the gym or whatever, but I feel absolutely awful when my pump goes, when I get dropped, when I get injured. Doo-doo-doo. We're in a vulnerable, vulnerable place here. So intuitive eating and all this stuff isn't just about the, the relationship with food and the, and the food neutrality and the all that stuff. It's also about the positive relationship with self, which is one of those three prongs that the flourishing athlete takes off. Can I have self-acceptance, strive from a place where, because if we've got self-acceptance and we fail, it's not as devastating, it doesn't feel as crushing as it does if we were to be striving from a place of a lack of self-acceptance, where we're striving from a place of oh, I need to do this because otherwise I'm, I'm a piece of shit. That is a really, really dangerous place to be striving from. And the work to go from one, from that sort of sort of more negative place to that positive place is, is hard, um, it's not easy work. But it allows for you to take riskier decisions because you know that if they don't work out, you are not a useless person because Mm. you have that solid self, solid sense of self there beforehand. Anyway, it's all about so. So basically, there's my story. Struggled with it all. I had this low self acceptance, this perfectionistic. Wanted to show other people how dedicated I was. Negative relationship with food and body, and tied up in this place. Um, I've done the work, and I'm still. It's ever going. I'm not trying to make it out, make it out like it's you do the work and you're happy days and you flourish for the rest of your life. That anyone who sells you that is is a liar. That's never the case with anything um, we do the work and we're trying to make the most out of our lives and we're trying to live life to the fullest. And I want athletes. I want to help athletes and fitness enthusiasts to go through that same transition um, that I did. And even if they aren't struggling with their relationship with food or body, but simply want to get the most out of their lives, this will be a very, a very good preventative framework to to do that from. So there we go. That's me. That's my life.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for sharing it. And yeah, I mean, we spoke about it so many times, um, within our own calls but yeah i appreciate you explaining on the on the pod um every time i hear your story it like it still amazes me how similar our kind of stories are in the 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 things that we experienced but also like the you know the significant injury that stopped us from playing rugby and mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know it's just yeah it's it's uh strange how like I, I think the time points were different and i never played rugby to anywhere near the level you did um but it's yeah very it's it's like creepily similar (laughs) like really like yeah amazing but i think that that probably shows how we both led down the same path we were both Mm -hmm. fortunate enough to to seek help and to to find help in in different ways Mm -hmm. um but it led to us both realizing this oh shit no one else why is no one else seeking help for these things when i'm seeing all these people are struggling with these things and Mm -hmm. um yeah it may be. And, if, and if
1: we're struggling mate there's it, it, you know if we've both got this similar story it doesn't people don't have to map on directly to that story if you resonate with any of it of the body comparison obsession whatever i think so many people will resonate i honestly believe it so many people would benefit from taking this approach so many people would every in my opinion every single active person would
0: um But but yeah, I 100% agree that other people resonate with it, and I I 100% agree that people will. And and that's the you know, my minds originally was the My own Mind Stories, and you know, I've got Mm -hmm. 70 plus people's stories on my website of you know, people saying, Yeah, I had a similar thing, and you know, that was that was you know, very kind of early days in my own minds, but there are people out there who who, and I think it's just is a lot more common than we think and I I I wanted to briefly touch on you with know, rugby was a common thread for us and you mentioned before all the research that looks at um the relationship between disordered eating and things with with sport and they often focus on um like anti-gravity sports, they call them, which is like the kind of weight power-to-weight ratio sports. Mm-hmm. So you know, being lean is really beneficial, like you like you mentioned. Um, and I want you know, uh, I haven't seen much. I don't think I've seen ever seen any papers on rugby's relationship or like th- those kind of like sports where people are trying to get re- being really big and, and being really powerful just in general. Um, there's not much research looking at that. And I wonder again, if that's that whole like thinness orientated approach to these appearance concerns, like you must be just trying to get as thin as possible if you're going to have an issue, but it doesn't seem always seem the case. And there's this like muscularity stuff and this stuff that links with athletes. And yeah, I wonder if as our understanding of muscularity oriented issues increases, we can start doing research on like rugby players and that kind of thing and, and find and maybe that'll then increase the amount of kind of um work being developed around
1: these populations. Uh yeah. The sport, it's not just a drive for thinness in sport. Um, you know, you might look at endurance running, gymnastics. There are certain lean sports where there'll be a, a big drive for thinness. Um, and certain sports will be more protective than other sports and actually sometimes people would find rugby to be more protective and the reason for that is there are different positions mm-hmm. where different body shapes and i've seen people put this um on instagram and i don't necessarily actually agree with it they've said oh rugby the best thing about rugby is there's a position for everyone i.e you're a bit smaller built naturally scrum off you, you know you're you're a, you're naturally heavier you might be a prop whatever whatever they're sort of well, yes and no. You still, you still have to. You know, there's still a pressure to be muscular and be strong. There still is a pressure to, um, to conform to one of those positions. So, so sort of, there might be a certain protective factor over a different sport. But I often am a big believer that that your body, in terms of the sport you're good at, and, and we don't have to do sport by the way to be good at it. We can play at a recreational level. We can, we can not be serious at it. And we can do whatever we want. And we can get different things out of sport. From a from a trying to excel in sport thing, I often um, think that your body chooses your sport, your genetic makeup. You know, I will never... My partner's five foot. She'll never be a basketball player. Well, her chances are massively stacked against her, being an elite basketball player. She's going to struggle. But in the same way that genetics in terms of height is accepted, genetics in terms of our body composition... And our natural weight that we will fall at if we eat in line with our hunger and fullness is not accepted anywhere near as much as our genetic with regard to height. um, I was reading a paper. I'm a bit like you. I can remember like a stat, but I can never remember who it's by. So feel free to correct me if it's wrong. I remember you saying that, by the way, in your previous one. I'm not just calling you out as someone who does that. You did did say that. (laughs) I'm like you, George. I'm shit at remembering things. eh? (laughs) (laughs) Apologies about that. Just completely dropping you in it. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember this stat. That I think I think our is our body weight is somewhere. It was somewhere between I think seventy to eighty percent genetically uh, determined. And so mm. sure, we could, You know, I could train my whole life and dedicate every single part of my life to becoming a pro bodybuilder. I'll never be one. I could try and be an elite um, long distance runner. I will never be one there are we have certain genetic capacities as well that we have to understand and so if we if we get into a position i don't even know how i've gone to this but if we get into a position where let's say from the age of seven to 14 we are incredibly good at long distance running just naturally like we're not eating in a specific way to try and be we're just pretty good we won sports day at school when we did our long distance running everyone goes oh you're amazing and and we tend to enjoy the things we're good at that's like a human trait you know what we're passionate about is typically what we feel we're good at Um, that that feeling of competency is a very motivating thing so then you know we continue we do our early secondary school and we're actually pretty good then we hit puberty and we become fractionally less good so how do we make up for that what are we going on my body's trying to give me this and my genetics are meant to be this but no no i won't eat I will instead have to starve myself because all of my self-worth is tied up in my ability to run quicker than everyone else that I know for a long distance. And so that's where it becomes particularly dangerous is in that transition period and within sports that push your body to need to be a certain way. You need to eat in a certain way in order to get there. You need to skip meals. You need to fast. You need to count calories. You need to have this much protein. And so there are certain sports that I don't believe lend themselves to flourishing as much as other sports. I've be, tried to be as inclusive as possible in this model. You can be a fitness enthusiast, right, and just in, enjoy the gym. And this model will absolutely perfect. But if you need to be a bodybuilder competing on stage, you can adapt a lot of this model to try to incorporate it into your lifestyle. But ultimately, it's going to be very hard to have. In fact, you won't be able to have an optimal relationship with food and body and self competing on stage and i'm happy to say that with confidence i think you can if you're happy accepting the risks and you're aware of the risks and you're aware of what a positive relationship with food would look like and it's something you've practiced prior to going into it you have a coach who's looking out for all of the minute details you're checking in on yourself and then in the off season you go back to a different style of eating whereby it doesn't become as obsessive and you're willing to do things this is it's risk management is what i'm trying to say there but then you've got to look at why you're trying to be a bodybuilder. Is it because you believe that that it's vital to look a certain way? Is it because you love the community? And is it because you get a sense of competency from you're good at it? Because you're good at it and you've got the genetic capacity. Is your self-worth based on, on competing and winning? How do you feel when you lose? There's a lot of nuance and questions to ask around it. But you're mm. right. Certain sports are massively... Um, tie into it and sometimes it's not even related to body composition but actually related to the culture of the sport being we're, we're dedicated people we uh, the, the swimmers, here we go, massive example, I mean swimmer, swimming is um, obviously somewhat body composition related of course and I'm not trying to ever say it's not but the swimmers at Loughborough were the ones who got up at 5 o'clock it was the culture I, they all lived in the block above me, they all got up at 5 they, all their training happened from 5 till 7 fasted so that that was a cultural thing and i think swimming probably without ever having been a swimmer myself i think swimming probably is one of those sports that falls into that cultural thing of um, we get up early and we train mm. early and that's a cultural thing that might not necessarily in um, impact disordered eating from a purely body composition perspective but more due to the um, culture that the sport exists within and you know I know you talk a lot about that with masculinity, which ties in with body composition, but also these masculine traits that we sort of believe, you know, quote unquote, that we sort of believe, um, what well, different societies have different masculine traits, but, you know, these ones that we might have in a Westernized society of, of having big muscles, whatever, or, or also of just being dedicated. So it might not be about having big muscles. It might not be related to your appearance. It might be related to the behaviors that you need to show to feel like you're masculine. Hmm. i need to i need to be the one who does this for my kids and i need to be the one who earns more there you go that's not even related to to fitness or gym it could be a financial thing and a pressure that we put on ourselves so a lot of it can be a cultural and societal made-up construct that we believe we need to do for our certain sport
0: yeah and i, I, I think. yeah you, you touched on several really good points there um I, yeah, because I, I wonder how much, because I've been tossing and turning with my, um you, you rightly say I talk about masculinity a lot. And often when I talk about masculinity, one of the caveats I give is that I don't really mean masculinity in the way that people think, because mas- like masculinity, when we tend to mention it is around like men and what men think. But actually masculinity is a a made up term for a set of attributes that we've typically pressured men to do, but anyone can experience them. Mm. Um, And I think maybe a better word is is identity um, and talking about men's identity. And part of the identity of being a man is that you, um, I guess, uh, either allow or feel um, pressured to allow certain societal ideals to be kind of attributed to you and to assess your self-worth based on those ideals, because you're, you've identified with that. And I wonder how much that comes into sport. And I I, I think as well, when we talk about sport, because I think rugby is a great example here. I think sometimes we don't go quite go deep enough with that level of identity in the sense that I think rugby is a great example. It might not just be that being a rugby player or being a swimmer or being a whatever is the, Kind of defining factor whether or not your relationship with things will be more or less disordered. Obviously, we have to stop somewhere, how zoomed in we go and we do research. We can't be overly nitpicky. We have to group people to some degree. But I, I think rugby could be a perfect example of y- your identity as a scrum half is so different to your identity as a prop. Even just like, you know, the assumptions people make about you as a person who is a prop or is a, a scrum half or is a whatever. There are certain identity factors, certain things that you, the same way that men will allow or feel pressured to allow these things to assess themselves as as a man. You might a- allow or feel pressured to allow to assess yourself based on these things that a scrum half is supposed to be. Um, and, and these things. And I, I wonder if it's the same with with uh, across sports in general, I, I think um, I guess I'm I'm leaning into almost an ideology here, where I'm just saying everything just about identity, and I don't think I think it's more complicated than that. But I do think there's a big factor here of I think a lot of the issues we talk about come down to that person's like sense of who they are and what they allow themselves to be assessed by. And that's what the well, at least from my or my my understanding, of the flourishing athlete. A big thing that you're doing with that is you shouldn't assess yourself by these things. Like allow yourself to be, or if you do, make it a smaller part of who you are as a person. And you have all these other aspects of yourself that you can like and listen to. You allow yourself to be assessed by what your body actually wants, rather than what society tells you you should
1: be, or whatever, or what you coach, or what you know sports says you should be. Absolutely, bring a, bring awareness to it. How many people are aware that, that, that they've internalised these um, these things and and assess themselves by this group of um I, I don't know if this is the right term but identity factors you know that they've that the might be even as you've talked about with Scrum art's it's sort of a microcosm of a society you know it's like a you've got the rugby culture and you've got the Scrum art culture and how many people are even aware that they're conforming to the need to be a you know to appear a certain way and I'm not just talking about appear in terms of physical appearance, I'm talking about behaviour in a certain way and um, and conduct themselves in a certain way, whether that's through showing dedication or whether that's through being a more intelligent person because I'm a scum arthur and we need to know the game inside out and the props don't. They can they can just bash their way up the pitch and actually there's, there's a cultural thing of that and there might not be that to me completely generalising. I've never been a prop and it's not me throwing shade at props I'm just trying to give examples. Um, no, yeah, yeah, I think you're right, though. It's interesting, though, isn't it? How, yeah. Yeah, I think what you just said there, um, before I started speaking, summed up what I was rambling on about for about 10 minutes beforehand in a way better, more concise way. So if anyone was sort of <laughs> trying to see what I was trying to get at, what George just said a couple of minutes ago um, was, I, I just think, it's spot on.
0: Oh, thanks, Matt. <laughs> um <laughs> um as we're we're kind of we're already over our hour mark that we said we'd stick out, I'm gonna kind of move us on um a bit further and we're gonna go for it's time, Matt. It's time. You know what time it is. Everyone knows what it. time it is. It's time for the devil's advocate. It's the devil's advocate.
1: <laughs> Excellent. I uh, always assumed that that was um, something that was edited outside it, of the you,
0: It used to be, it used to it. be, um, it used to be, and then I, I, I tried it once with playing it with the person, and watching the person's reaction to it is too funny, and too much of like a great conversation, like it's like a nice little bit afterwards to, joke, to laugh about how terrible it is. Um, I was <laughs> thinking before this, like... Uh, with the, I mean this is never going to happen but if by some like miracle the My Minds podcast becomes like this massive podcast where the budget goes through the roof, I promise I'm saying it right now, I'm never going to change that recording ever that's always going to be <laughs> it it's always going to be that <laughs> uh, it's, it's yeah, no matter, no matter what happens with the My Minds podcast the Devil's Advocate theme tune will always be that shit and will be that shit for the rest of time um, it's said today it's, uh, uh, okay so today's Devil's Advocate question is, sure, some athletes will end up feeling down when behaving in these ways, but don't you think that's just part of the risk of striving for greatness?
1: Yeah, so, so this is a, a really interesting question because I think everything that we've spoken about today has been really nuanced. And this is a question that I think has got a lot of nuance because because striving for greatness is not a negative thing whatsoever and it is not something that the flourishing athlete is against and so i guess firstly it probably depends on what athlete we're looking at and the intent behind being athlete uh, being active and and athletic and, and exercising and competing or whatever it could be so you know you could be a recreational athlete and not want to strive for greatness but rather, enjoy your sport in a different way, and you know there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, so it sort of depends on the athlete itself. so what i'm going to do is i'm going to answer this from the perspective of an athlete who is um, striving for greatness and, and is, a, is, a, is competing and wants to be the best athlete that they can possibly be, because I think that's probably where the question is more tailored towards, and I think it's a harder answer of the question if I go from that one, and I think that's a good thing to answer it in that sense so um, there are. I think some inevitable risks that will be th- that someone will encounter or have when they are striving to be the best athlete that they can possibly be. I think they are sort of inevitable. Um, and I think that being an athlete often comes with these emotional highs and lows. So, it's a winning a competition or being dropped or being injured, these can often be, be really, really low. I think being an athlete will require. Exercising at a high intensity, of course, more so than other people uh, who are not athletic. But what I think it probably comes down to is ensuring that the place that the striving is coming from is healthy. And we've already touched on this. So it is a real. So often, I think it's really hard to assess a behavior as disordered. Dieting, in and of itself, is not disordered. It comes with risks that can lead it to turn into a really disordered thing so So, you know you you can can have two people who are doing the exact same behavior and the behavior can't i don't think you can ever really no sorry there are some um, examples where behavior is clearly disordered if someone is being sick after they've eaten you know i think it's sort of quite it's harmful for physical health to do that Um, but you can't say that exercising three times a day is disordered because in the same ilk, you'd have to say it's really disordered then to climb up Snowdon because it takes you ages. Right. So, so there's behaviours are really hard to classify as disordered. What often classifies it as whether it's healthy or whether it's unhealthy is the intent behind the behaviour, the way it would make you feel if you couldn't do the behaviour. So having the, the question you asked, where you, you said um, feeling, is it, is it normal to feel down? Um, sure some athletes will end up feeling down when behaving in these ways but isn't that just part of the risk of striving for greatness yes my answer is yes however if you're feeling down 24 7 if you're anxious when you miss a workout if it's something that is controlling your life it's if it's something that's taking away from your mental well-being that's when it there's a there's a tipping point there feeling down because you've got Drop from a team is not a problematic thing. It, it, it's a, a normal reaction to the situation. Um, feeling like your whole life has been crushed because you've got dropped from a team and you don't know where to do, it, and all of a sudden you feel very, very dark and you feel like you don't know where to go. That probably is a um, sign that that the importance you're placing on competing in this team or whatever is, is so high that actually there's such a great risk so um what it comes down to is ensuring that an athlete has certain skills they've got self-acceptance they've got high levels of self-compassion cognitive flexibility emotional regulation ability to um to see themselves as a human rather than just an athlete an understanding of the risks that are associated with their sport they've got other sources of self-worth they haven't put all their eggs in one basket and so if if those things happen if if we've got those underlying things um you're going to be in a lot safer place when try, when behaving in certain ways that are uh, that are required as an elite athlete if you are if you don't have those things you've got a really insecure sense of self self you've got low um you've got low self-compassion you beat yourself up you've got very negative sources of motivation that are based in this sort of place of fear where i need to do this because i'm not good enough and anxiety is driving your behaviors then then feeling down when you behave in a certain way such as or you know feeling a requirement to track your calories or whatever that's that's not just part of um the risk of striving for greatness that's that's dangerous that's really not great so yeah i don't know if i've answered the question at all the point is i think is what underlies the behaviors and so yeah there will be certain risks when we strive for greatness but whether or not they are crushing comes back to our sense of self a lot of the time and our relationship with ourself Mm. so yeah no, I yeah, I think know I, know, I,
0: I, li- I like that. Like, normally when I do the the devil's advocate, I have like an answer. Um, mm. And I think not part of that's like a, a kind of anxiety coping mechanism for myself, which is really bad of me, I think. But to some degree, I'm like, I want to be able to save the person if they can't think of an answer. <laughs> yeah, I want to like save my guest. But because I know that we have such similar... Like ideas and views, and and you've taught me so much, and, and I, I just want to, I guess, put a a, full, a thing like it's not I, it's not that I think less of my um, other guests. It's just I just I get anxious that I, I'm going to like drop a a bomb on them and they're not they're not going to know what to say. So I often just have like a, an answer for safety, whatever. It's going to move on, uh, but yeah, I ge- genuinely with this question, like I wanted to try and figure it out, and I wanted to hear what your Thoughts were, um, and and listening to you, like I, um, yeah, I got some thoughts of my own as well that I'm interested in in what you think, and I really like your answer. And this kind of goes alongside what you were saying. I think for me, I don't necessarily, I'm I'm not against, or you know, I, to some degree, people can do what they want, um, you know. So if someone if someone is like you know feeling horrendous because of their they're the way that they are behaving as an athlete, but they just want to strive for greatness, and they think this is the way. And they're okay with the the drawbacks, and they're okay with the the issues that come from it, and they're aware of them. And they're just like, you know what, fuck it, I just I don't care. You know, like do what you want. You know, you if that if that's really what how you want to live, then crack on. You know, I'm not here to force people to do things. I'm here to say there's nicer ways of living. <laughs> you know, there there are other yep. ways of of doing things. Um, and at least from my my standpoint, you know, that might just be my perspective. Um, and I think to some degree, I acknowledge the fact that any behavior has a risk of feeling down the same way that, you know, I have, I read somewhere or heard somewhere um someone talking about uh like the anxiety that comes with like FOMO like fear of missing out or like fear of mm-hmm. of not doing not taking an opportunity or whatever every decision you make you're negating the the infinite possibilities that could have happened if you took another decision like and that, that as soon as I read that or heard that I was just like oh shit yeah like I, th- there's no reason feeling anxious about making a decision because every decision you're you're blocking off all the other potential that like you know if I made a different decision this morning I could be a billionaire right now I could have just won the euro millions or whatever you know like like you know oh, what I mean like there's there's infinite and yet you're
1: stuck here chatting to me <laughs>
0: I'd still be I'd still be here chatting to you if I was a billionaire um but yeah that, that, so to some degree I I think you know yes there there is there is risk and and if someone is aware of it and willing to to do it then you know you're fine um but I think, yeah, I guess the thing that for me, the, the thought is that I just want them to know that's the case and know that there are other options and that things will be OK if they t- took those other options yeah. um, before they make that decision. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I, I, well, I agree. Are you, you're, I, think, I think I tried saying that at the beginning, not as clearly as you. I think I'm not I'm conveying myself as clearly as I could. But it, every, it,
0: the, the thing is, because you said that before, but it's easier when I'm listening to you attempt it, and then I can like refine it as I'm listening. That's, that's right, what's happening yeah. here. It's not. Yeah, it's not yeah. that I'm some like profound mystic. I'm just. No, 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 I'm just no, listening no. to what you're saying and then thinking another way to say it. Basically,
1: uh, no. So I think you're right. Every behavior comes with a risk. I step outside my house, I could get run over. Every behavior comes with a risk. Certain behaviors come with more risk. What we need to have is an awareness of the risk which is what you touched on. I think that's really important. We need to be aware. And that's, I think a massive missing piece. Not many people are aware. When I started off getting into sport, getting into fitness, thinking I needed to be bigger or whatever in sick form. And I talked about that earlier. Was I aware of any of the risks that would come after it? Was I aware that I would, that this is what's leading to my binge eating in the future and whatever, whatever. No, I had no idea because it wasn't talked about and there wasn't an understanding on my behalf. And, I think the point is, is that um, two people can engage in the same behavior and have a very different way of relating to the behavior and emotional response. And if you've got a really you know, poor sense of self and, and a, um, you struggle with self-esteem, you've got perfectionistic tendencies, um, which is another topic, whether or not they're always negative or whatever, um, because there's a difference between sort of perfectionistic striving um, and a more negative um, way of relating to perfectionism but if you've got these underlying things you're increasing your risk in the same way you're increasing your risk when you cross a road if you are um if you can only cross it uh, if you can only limp across it at 0.5 miles an hour compared to run across it you're you're crossing that road um with with a poorly leg if if um you engage in these behaviors and you've got these underlying factors that mean that you're at a greater risk for developing poor mental well-being as a result of them. So that doesn't mean that we shouldn't then ever do the behaviours, it means we should probably do the work on the underlying thing to help with them. And there might also be alternative behaviours that we could do that could lead to a nearly as good an outcome without the risk. That's basically what the flourishing athlete is. Can I give a model where I'm trying to eliminate as much risk as possible so that people can have a positive relationship with food, still get the outcome of improving in their sport without the risk of then developing disordered eating and an eating disorder, et cetera. That's basically what it is, is doing less risky behaviours, also putting the work in underneath to decrease risk so that we can do what's required from a healthy place, from a healthy source of motivation with a healthy source of self-esteem and sense of self and all of this stuff, can we do that? Um, so I think that sort of nicely sums it up. It's the behaviour itself is very rarely the, the problem rather than what's underneath the behaviour, but certain behaviours will be at greater risk. So here's, here's, my, here's my way. Last thing I'll say is, because I actually have to wrap this up soon, mate. Uh, apologies, I've got a, a PT session later. Um, but Here's the way I'll say it. If you, I gave that example of crossing the road, um, but only being able to cross it at 0.5 miles an hour only being able to cross at 0.5 miles an hour might be if you've got a really poor self-esteem, uh, really poor, um, you know, sense of worth, whatever, whatever, right. Well, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but you know, low levels of self-compassion, no cognitive flexibility, high levels of perfectionism, do, 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 all these risk factors. That means you're crossing this, this road, which is sort of busy. Let's say there's one car every minute or so. It's a country road, um, at 0.5 miles an hour. Let's say you've got a high sense of self-worth, good, whatever, whatever, whatever you can run across the road. Yeah. Let's now say that the behaviour is incredibly restrictive. So let's say it's counting calories, tracking protein, whatever. Incredibly restrictive behaviour. Well, let's, then what we're doing is we're expanding the road. So instead of it being just a single road on the country road, it's now a motorway that's got five lanes. Cars are moving quicker. You can still only cross it at 0.5 miles an hour if you haven't got the secure sense of self. So all of a sudden, the behavior, the two sort of variables are the behaviour and our sense of self. And, and internalization of certain ideals duh, 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 duh. let's say we now don't internalize these ideals we've got a good sense of self we can run across the road and let's say we do a, we do instead of tracking calories and the behavior is not that instead it's it's um eating in line with hunger and satiety a different way of getting to our goal still incorporating sports nutrition principles in a more flexible way that's like only having to cross a single country road rather than a four-lane motorway Mm. So, all of a sudden, we can change the amount of lanes there are, and we can change the speed at which we can cross the road based on our the behavior that we choose to take or the behavior and the underlying work of rejecting certain um, ideals, whether it be sort of masculine ideals or whether it be certain ones related to the culture of sports that we 've just talked about um, and we can also yeah because we can change the behavior that we 're doing and we can also change our underlying sense of self and, and worth and the ideals we 've internalized, and we can build the awareness around all those things so. There's a couple of different variables that I think we can change that can decrease our risk.
0: Mm. I, I I really like that analogy of the the road. So our predisposing factors is in this metaphor our kind of like health or like leg health at the time. Like you know how yeah, how yeah. fast can we move based on um, mm-hmm. you know and the behaviours we take make the road safer or yeah, or more dangerous. Yeah, I really like it. that. Um I really like that. Uh, yeah, the the, yeah, the I made reason that
1: of the spot as well. So. No,
0: that's great. Yeah, you yeah. should you should patent that. <laughs> uh, um... That that I was just about to say that that's what I like. The reason I started this podcast was entirely selfish. Like, was just like I wanted an excuse to talk to people in this way, you know. And this is why I want to be a researcher because I love these. I love being like right. Let's sit down and figure shit out, and then come up with these like cool ways of explaining things and cool ideas and stuff like. We come up with like there's there's lots of stuff that I've said for the first time on this pod as well, just from these conversations. But that's that's what I fucking love about doing podcasts is just this excuse to be right right we're going to sit down for an hour and a half to two hours sorry Matt I, we did say we we're going to do it an hour but um and just like hash things out and we're sure we'll, yeah. we'll talk about the stuff we're doing and that kind of stuff but really we're just going to like engage in these ideas and that's yeah I love that mm. um but we're gonna we're gonna escalate on because I know you've got your your session coming up yeah I've got um, to go in a
1: sec so yeah let's let's do, let's
0: it. do the final three quick quick fire quick let's fire so quick fire. Yeah.
1: um
0: number one name a person that inspires you
1: this is a, a sort of a classic one, and it's one that's related to me recently. Um, but I'm going to say my dad, because he um, is, he What he, he currently works full time in quite a high stress job. He cares for his mum, who lives in his granny annex, and, and he even built that granny annex so she could move up so that he could look after her, and he sort of does all that. And he's always there and will always make time for me and uh, his family. He's a very selfless man, and... There's a lot of qualities in him that I really admire in terms of how caring he is and selfless and and yeah, the traits I really admire. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually say my dad, and that's recent because he's he's helped me through some things recently. So let's go with that one. Bit of a classic, but there you go. Amazing.
0: No, I love that. I love that. That's a great answer. Uh two. A phase of your life that you didn't like at the time, but looking back, you know that positives came from it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to switch this one up and I'm actually going to, this is going to be sort of, I don't want this to come across cheesy. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to go with now, right now, which isn't a phase of my life in the past. It's obviously a current phase that I'm going through, but um, I'm out of my comfort zone with a few things at the moment and I've struggled through a few things at the moment. Um, Lots of different things, actually. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty low motivation with quite a lot of things. But that's one thing that, i'm really grateful that i did work on self-compassion because self-compassion and this is going to actually no, i'm not going to say this ask me the next question and i'm going to lead into this this what i'm about to say go for it
0: okay <laughs> uh name <laughs> a phrase or word that changed your life
1: yeah so the phrase is um compassion is not kindness and that is not really like this motivational phrase but it's a it's sort of it's a it's a well it's a phrase isn't it but the What compassion is, people get this really wrong, and this is why I hope it could appeal to athletes, is compassion is not being kind to yourself, giving yourself a bubble bath if you're feeling down. That could be some of the behaviours we take. Compassion is developing an attitude of wanting to do what's best for you in that moment. So therefore you cannot be compassionate without wisdom. We have to be wise to know what a beneficial thing for me would do. And if we don't know, we need to know who we would go to. So there's wisdom in compassion. And so using that example that I've just said of right now, I'm struggling and it's a phase in my life that I didn't like at the time. But looking back on, I know positives came from it. The reason I know positives will come from this from this phase is because I am treating myself with a lot of compassion. And that doesn't mean that I've run away from the things that I'm doing. It's actually I'm trying to take sort of courageous action through them because I know it will help me in the future. I know that this is the right thing to do right now is to, is to struggle on through with a feeling that, I'm not rubbish if I can't finish it, if I can't get through this period, because I have that sort of self-acceptance. And so it's been a really hard period uh, recently. Um, but yeah, that that work I've done on self-compassion is the reason I'm continuing with it. The kind thing for me to do would probably be to, to crawl under the bed. The compassionate thing for me to do would be to continue on with it. So um, yeah, that's... I think something that's changed my life is under, the, having the understanding that compassion is not kindness; it's doing the helpful thing with an attitude of caring. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a phrase that I would say has changed my life.
0: Amazing! Thank you so much, Matt. I'll wrap us up because I know you need to go. Yeah, um, but, appreciate uh, it, mate. Thank Thank you so much for being on here. I hope you I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and for everyone back home um, listening again thank you so much for for listening to another episode and i hope to see you in the next one
1: bye thank you
0: thank you so much for listening to that episode here at my minds we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast so please if you can give it a share each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that also if you want to check out myminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.